0: The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn, if you will, in Matthew's Gospel to Matthew chapter 25. Reading from verse 31 to verse 46. (coughs) Matthew 25, verse 31. This is the word of God. Let's give our attention to it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Almighty God, now we ask that you would reveal these truths to us, imprinting them upon our hearts, that we might know the reality of the coming of our Savior, that we might know, Lord God, the reality of the coming judgment. Be pleased to work in us, Lord God, that faith and repentance that grants us that everlasting kingdom, that union with our Saviour, that we might escape and flee from the wrath that is to come. Work in us now, we plead with you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're coming to an end of the Olivet Discourse, that discourse, that teaching that our Lord gives to his disciples prior to the uh, final days of his life before his crucifixion. And in this last part of the Olivet Discourse, he speaks of one unmistakable event, his second coming and the ensuing day of judgment. Here we see the Son of Man sat on a glorious throne from where he judges the sheep and the goats. The sheep here in the passage are called the righteous, the righteous, Uh, and it's their works, their works that Christ highlights As the standard for judgment, Uh, they are granted to enter the eternal kingdom prepared for them by their Father. The goats, on the other hand, unbelievers, those who have not that faith in the Saviour, are also those who have not manifested works fitting or befitting of faith. They are sent to eternal punishment. The punishment for unbelief is great, and the blessing for faithfulness is equally great. This day, I think we ought to ensure that we are those who receive the blessing of faith, the reward of faith, the eternal kingdom of Almighty God. The passage comes to us in three parts this morning verse 31, we see the judgment glory of the Son of Man. The judgment glory of the Son of Man. Then in verse 33, we see the judgment upon the sheep. And then in verse 41, we see the judgment upon the goats. We're thinking of judgment day what it will be like for all people who appear before Christ. The first thing the text speaks of, though, is the coming of Christ, the glory of the Son of Man. And two factors present themselves to us in the text. At first is the authority of Christ's coming, and then the purpose Of Christ's coming. The authority is seen there in the description of him in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. That's an authoritative description of one sat on a glorious throne. Three things we note about him. First, Christ is coming again. There's no ifs or buts in the mind of our Lord who is speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes, we can be assured of that coming. He is coming again. The second thing we can see is when he comes, he will come in his glory. Notice the the personal reference, his glory. He will come in his glory And there's a huge distinction to be made here between the manner of our Lord's coming at his second coming and the manner of our Lord's coming at his first coming. The second coming is glorious. There'll be a trumpet blast that all will hear, none can deny. There will be angels with him, we're told. There'll be glorious light. It will be the only indisputable moment in all of history everyone will know exactly what is going on. None shall deny it. None shall gainsay the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. None shall be in doubt about it. And yet the great distinction is this. His second coming is not like his first coming. He had his glory at his first coming, but it was a hidden glory, was it not? We sing the hymn, Veiled in Flesh, the Godhead See, Veiled the Incarnate Deity. Hidden, hidden glory for the purposes of salvation, but his glory at his second coming is not hidden He will come in indisputable and unimpeachable glory for the purposes of salvation and of condemnation. And as he comes in his glory, the third thing we see is he will sit on a glorious throne. He'll be sat enrobed in splendor and majesty. All eyes will see him and know him for who he is. And he's come to sit for the purpose of judgment. That's what the text tells us. We see the authority of Christ. We see also the action or the purpose of his coming. It is for judgment, verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one and from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Notice the scope, the scope of this judgment. All nations shall be gathered before him. On that last day when Jesus sits on his throne, all nations and every person of all nations and all those who have lain in the grave will be resurrected under the resurrection of life or the resurrection of death. All will be raised, all who are alive will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that judgment consists fundamentally in a separation. He will separate people one from another, sheep from goats. It's on this day, perhaps only on this day, that the great equalizing doctrines of our age, pluralism, tolerance, relativism, will be in that very moment exploded as a myth judgment involves distinction. Judgment involves separation. Judgment involves the declaration that one is righteous and another unrighteous. This is the glorious appearing of Christ that no person will doubt on that last day. Why has our Lord opened this section with these words? What is the purpose of his teaching? I think in brief, it's threefold. It is to assure all men, women, and children of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and of every age that has ever lived, that there is a day coming when Christ will come again in glory and in power. And that day is inescapable. And people may deny it now if you so wish, but you will not be able to deny it on that final day. The second purpose is to warn the unbeliever, to warn any here today, any throughout the world who read these words, who are not united to Christ, of the peril, the danger, the tragedy that is to come in your life if you do not have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It tells you there is a judgment coming, and if you're on the wrong side of that judgment, woe betide you. It's a call to receive Christ this day, more of which in a moment. And the third purpose is to encourage the Christian, the sincere, true Christian. Christ teaches this way to encourage you to continue your walk in the ways of righteousness. Calvin speaks of these verses. He says, our Lord has spoken in this way that Christians might keep their minds in warfare till Christ's second coming and might not give way or be discouraged on account of his absence. Christ is speaking so that you, dear Christian, may be equipped for the daily grind, the daily warfare that is living by faith, that you might walk in the ways of righteousness. You might do so triumphantly according to the will of God. Friends, Christ is coming, and it's a glorious coming, and he's coming to bring judgment. And the judgment, firstly, is for the sheep. It's a day most blessed of his coming for those who are his sheep. Verses 34 to verse 40, the judgment of the sheep. Notice this, the sheep, those who are called righteous, verse 46, those who love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are judged also they pass through judgment unto everlasting life, an eternal kingdom, verse 33. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. There is a distinguishing moment between one person and another. It's not that the sheep escape judgment. There is a judgment made, but there is a positive outcome for the sheep. Remember what it was like for Israel of old at Passover. If they did not place down in Egypt, if they did not place the blood on the doorposts of their house, they too would have been judged. So it is here there is judgment even for the sheep, but a judgment of righteousness and a judgment of blessedness. We're reminded from the outset, just as the Israelites needed the Passover lamb to pass through judgment, so we need the righteousness and the mercy of God given to us through our great Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, that we might enter the eternal kingdom. And we're told by our Lord that the eternal kingdom is the reward, uh, the reward for the righteous. It's a reward of incomparable worth and incomparable beauty and joy. Verse 34, then the king, notice the change there, the king of the kingdom, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Notice the word come come to Christ, come into the kingdom that has been prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Think about hearing those words on that great last day. Think about hearing that news, come you who are blessed of my father. Think about all the good news that you've ever received in your life And for that matter, all the bad news you've ever received in your life. This news, this declaration, eclipses all the declarations you have ever heard in your life. Come, you who are blessed. This is better than the best news you have ever heard And the worst news you've ever heard recedes into the shadows in the light of this good news. It's quite simply the best thing that a human being can ever hear. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. But on what grounds will you hear that, dear Christian? On what basis will you hear these words spoken by our Lord on the last day? There's a simple and there's a complex answer. You're getting the complex this morning. Verse 35. Notice what is said. Our Lord says, come into the kingdom. And then he says, for, verse 35, first word. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. What's the standard by which they're granted entry, at least in this passage, into the kingdom? It's by the works they've done. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? It should in a way. We'll come to that now. The judgment on the sheep and on the goats in the next part of our passage is very clearly according to their own works very clearly according to their own labors. I was hungry, says our Lord, and you gave me food. You did something. You obeyed. You did something. And that reveals to us the straight truth that judgment has and always will be according to works. Righteousness is measured by law. Righteousness has always been measured by law. And yet verse 46 tells us that these people are righteous. The righteous will inherit eternal life. And we know that scripture teaches us that we can't inherit or merit eternal life by our own works. And yet it is our works that Christ focuses upon here. We know that it's only through receiving Jesus Christ that we are actually made righteous in the sight of God. His righteousness is imputed to us. We receive it through faith. And thus the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. But firstly, our Lord says, it is your works. Your works. I was hungry. You gave me food. Why the focus then on the Christian's works? If we know we can't merit heaven by ourselves, and if we can only inherit heaven by having Christ's righteousness given to us, why is our Lord focusing upon works? It's because the very people to whom our Lord was speaking, the disciples, grew up and lived in an age of religious hypocrites, who said they had faith, but had no real works which demonstrated their faith. The scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, and so on, had a man-made righteousness, but not the kind of righteousness, nor the kind of works of which our Lord now speaks. What did they do? They tithed their produce exactly. Uh, They prayed ostentatious prayers on street corners. They made themselves look ill when they fasted. They wanted the the praise and glory that comes from man, and they got it. But they never showed compassion on the needy. They never fed the hungry. They never gave water to the thirsty. They never visited the sick. They never, never clothed the naked. This is precisely why Christ focuses upon works at this stage. And notice these works are ordinary works. Ordinary works. Ordinary works that firstly reflect a true and living faith that justifies a person before God. Ordinary works that reflect a true and living faith the faith in Christ that justifies a person before God. Secondly, these things that our Lord focuses upon in verse 35 are ordinary works according to the law of God, not the law of man. This is what the law required of them, to love mercy, to do justice, to walk humbly before God. This is the basics of daily Christian living, obedience to the law of God not to the law of men. One commentator says these works are the discharge of humble duties pertaining to -to day-to-day living. It's not the ostentatious. It's not the great. It's not the self-proclaimed works of people that count. It's just ordinary day-to-day Christian living. Obedience we know they can't justify us, but scripture says God delights in them. God delights in our works, and there's a sense in which he hands them back to us in heaven as a reward. Listen to what Revelation chapter 19 says. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. God delights in righteous deeds, not because they are righteous in and of themselves, but they come to him through his son and are therefore righteous. Our works, as failing as they are, God is pleased with them. God is delighted in these righteous works. Don't think for one moment your righteous works will get you through judgment That's the goats in this passage. But being a Christian means you're united to Christ by faith, means your sins are forgiven, and you've been imputed the righteousness of Christ. It's been given to you, and therefore you conduct yourself in a manner that pleases the Lord. That's what our Lord is focusing upon here. Our Lord says to these people, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I love the surprise of the sheep when our Lord says, I was hungry and you fed me and so on. And they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? It's almost like they don't recognize themselves in Jesus' description of the righteous. I think that's a remarkable thing. It's a wonderful thing. Perhaps you think that of yourself sometimes. I hope you do. Because it says the heart, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve the goodness that God has given me. It's not that we've all done those things to Christ but it's that we've done them to the least of his brethren. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Beautiful statement of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. To serve your brother, to serve your sister, is to serve Christ himself. They look at Christ and say, when did we do this? We're not worthy of this praise. And he says, yes, you are. For you did it to my brethren, you did it to me. Friends, this is a fearful yet glorious reality. Glorious as it's presented here first to the believer. And there's significance in that, that this word of salvation and of glory and entering the kingdom comes first to the believer. We're presented with the reality of the separation of peoples, the separation of some unto everlasting life. And it's laid out like this that believer and unbeliever alike even here today might know what is to come and that you believer might take courage and stand fast renew your efforts in obedience striving for holiness because you know what is coming you know what is coming what more motivation could we want in the pursuit Of holiness. That obedience from the heart of a sincere Christian, while it could never justify us before God, is nonetheless pleasing and acceptable in the sight of your Father who is in heaven. By the grace of God, your imperfect works are, as it were, made perfect before God. That's a wonderful truth. But it's clearly not applicable to all, as we see in verse 41. Because just as there's a judgment for the sheep, there's also a judgment for the goats. And what's true for the sheep is not true for the unbeliever. We have the same paradigm laid out for the unbeliever. Uh, there's, There's a declaration Uh, there's, There's the basis for that declaration, and there's a result. Notice the opposite. Verse 34 is, come, you who are blessed by my Father. But verse 41 is this, depart from me, you cursed. Come, you who are blessed, depart from me, you who are cursed. And they're going to go into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. A more stark contrast we cannot hope to find in scripture. One is welcomed into the eternal kingdom of blessedness and joy. The other is sent away, exiled, consigned to an eternity of hell. Think on this for a moment, friends. Think on the many terrors of Satan the appalling oppression of sin that exists in this life now. Satan's sin, his angels, his devils, who tear apart, who destroy, who pollute, who spoil that which is good. Now imagine being consigned to hell with all that forever and ever without opportunity of escape being in the miserable, terrible, horrific company of Satan and his angels under the judgment of God. Friends, such an end is real. Such an end is real for those who in this life refuse to bow the knee to King Jesus. And that's not just for people out there, because our Lord, as I've said, is speaking principally about the hypocrites, those who were very religious, more religious than anyone else, people in the church of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests. He's speaking about those who appear to be religious, but don't own the heart of religion, Jesus Christ. And the test of whether they own the heart of true religion is whether their lives prove that faith, whether they have those good works of which our Lord speaks in verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not welcome me and so on. You say you're a believer, but you have no works. The Apostle James in his epistle makes it abundantly clear, true faith will always be seen and proven by good works. True faith will always manifest in obedience. In other words, faith in this sense is always visible. It can be seen by what we do, or its absence can be seen by what we do not do. Faith is visible it's seen in service, it's seen in love, it's seen in care, it's seen in bearing others' burdens, it's seen in obedience. The goats only find condemnation here, and no second chance. When it comes to this day, it's too late to repent. J.C. Ryle put it this way, at his first coming, Christ came to slay sin in men. But at his second coming, he's coming to slay men in sin. There's no second chance. Now is your second chance. Right now. Today. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved you shall be saved. And you should be saved from this. Our Lord makes it clear, verse 46, these who are unrepentant, who don't love the Lord, whose lives don't manifest true faith, these will go away into eternal punishment. It's not annihilation. It's not a non-existence. It's Real existence, body and soul reunited in hell forever under the justice and judgment of God. Friends, that's what's going to happen. And yet the passage finishes on good news. Did you notice that? Verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. But the righteous into eternal life. And friends, eternal life comes to us through the judgment of which we see in this passage. In judgment, the holiness and justice of God are revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. And at the cross of Christ, we saw all those things, did we not? Holiness Righteousness, justice, but we also saw love. The love of God. Love to the unrighteous, love to those he had elected and called and regenerated and granted faith in the Saviour. You see, friends, it's this hell deserving justice that God poured out on Jesus on the cross. You've just sung of it in a, a, a hymn earlier. God poured it out on Christ at the cross, cross, but death could not hold him, let alone hell. And having been raised from the dead, he defeated sin, he defeated Satan, and he defeated death. so that verse 46, "The righteous into eternal life might go. Friends don't be deceived. Christ is coming again. And it is not because he lacks purpose or power that he has not yet come. Please don't make that mistake. His timing is his timing. Do not doubt that. And at his coming What the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, which is directly appropriate to our text today, this will happen. Paul says, he will render to each one according to his own works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Friends, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and let your faith be visible by your deeds. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do praise you and honor you and worship you. We ask you, Father, that in this place today, there might be none who do not know you, if there are work in their hearts. And Lord, be pleased to work in all our hearts, that wherever we find ourselves in the life of faith, we might turn to you and hold fast unto you. Lord, be pleased, be pleased to work in us, that faith and trust which manifests itself in true works. Help us, we pray, Lord God, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.